Thank you, Seth, very much. I'm going to be reading from Nehemiah 4, 1 through 6 this morning. This is where the sermon is going to come from. It should be on the screen behind me. Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was, was beside him and said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. This is the word of God. You can be seated. Well, for those of you who are visiting and those of you who might not know, we, every January, start the year off with a series on prayer. And for four Sundays, we focus on prayer more than we, focus, more than we usually focus on. We talk about prayer more than we talk about it. We pray more than we usually pray. And this is on purpose. This is to start the year off right. And so this is the last of this series about prayer. Prayer. And this sermon this morning is all about these kind of prayers that we just heard from Nehemiah. And I've titled this Imprecatory Prayers, Do We Pray Them? Imprecatory Prayers, Do We Pray Them? Now, what does that word imprecatory even mean? If you're sitting there thinking, I have no clue what that word means, and I must be the only one in the whole congregation. No, you're probably not. Probably about 90% of you are in the same boat, so don't worry. It's from the verb imprecate, which means to invoke a curse or call a curse upon. We're usually, we usually hear this word when we talk about certain psalms that are called the imprecatory psalms. These are psalms, often written by David, where he's asking God to bring judgment upon the enemies of God who show themselves to be the enemies of God by how they're treating the people of God. An example of that would be Psalm 69. There are probably anywhere from 15 to 20 of these that we would categorize as either the whole psalm or part of the, of the psalm as an imprecatory psalm. But like Psalm 69, verses 19 through 25, here's an example. David writing says, You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food. And for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Let their own table before them become a snare. And when they are at peace... Let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see. And make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them. 
and let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation. May no one live in their tents. That is a very good example of one where we see him calling judgment down upon. He's, he's saying, God, judge them for their wrongdoing. It's been said that every human emotion can be found in the Psalms. Every human emotion, even deep anger at wrongdoing. And that's what we see here, don't we? Before I go any further, let me pray and ask God's help on our message as we start to get into it now. So please, will you bow with me? Father, I need your help to preach this sermon well, Lord, and I need your help also to open the hearts of hearers. That's not a work that I can do. I can do the work that you've called me to, which is to rightly divide this word with your help, Lord, to present it accurately, boldly, lovingly, with your help, I can do that, but Lord, I cannot do the heart work. I am dependent upon you for that work, so I pray that you would please do that now, Lord. Go before me into the hearts of the hearers, both here in this room and those who might be listening online later. Lord, please draw sinners to yourself, and please also build up the saints, those who already know you. Help us to be more like Jesus, and it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Well, it seems to be a natural tendency in us to want justice for wrongdoing. I mean, after all, that's why we love some of these movies that we watch so much. There's a bad guy, and he's really bad throughout the whole movie, and then the good guy gets him in the end, and he gets either what's due him, or he gets put in jail, and we say, that was a good movie. It's just everything got tied up nicely because the bad guy got justice. For being so bad. I mean, so many movies have that really as their premise when you boil it down. That's why they're so popular. Because there's something within all of us that wants justice. We want a just society. But this is also where a dilemma comes in within us. Because so much of what we learn in the Bible, in Christianity in, gener in general, is very contrary. It teaches, it teaches us that, hey, there's so many other things about your natural tendencies that are contrary to following God, contrary to walking in the truth, contrary to real godliness. There's so much of the Bible devoted to pointing out that our natural fleshly tendencies are just that. They're fleshly, and therefore, they're sinful. In the greatest sermon ever recorded, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does a perfect job of pointing out the great contrast between our natural tendencies that we have and also what God requires of those who follow him. Let's talk about that. For example, we see things in the Sermon on the Mount like this. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. That's Luke 6, 27 and 28. But those things aren't our natural built-in tendencies, <laughs> are they? Our normal tendencies are to hate our enemies, act harshly towards those who wrong us, and return insults to those who curse us. That's 
our natural tendency, and definitely not, definitely not to, to pray for the good of those who are abusing us. Jesus also said in that sermon, to the one who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. Wait. That's definitely not. That's definitely not a natural tendency we have. Your knee-jerk reaction would be, if someone slaps you in the face, your knee-jerk reaction would be, I'm about to punch you back much harder than you hit me. You better get ready for what's coming. That is your normal, natural knee-jerk reaction. And you see this even in children. Child hits one, and they hit back, right? I mean, it's just from very young ages we see that. But as Christians, we know that the only way for mankind to obey these commands that Jesus has given us in the Sermon on the Mount, and by the way, we're born with those reactions that we have, aren't we? We're, we're, just, we're born to hate our enemies. We just feel that within us. No one has to teach you, by the way, if someone's your enemy, you, you should hate them back. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, I'll start doing that now. That's normal and natural. You're born with those tendencies toward sinful behavior like that. And so the only way for mankind to obey Jesus' commands that he gave in the Sermon on the Mount to truly be the people of God, living not in accordance to the flesh, but by the Spirit, is to be born again. You're born one way, and the remedy for that is being born again. Jesus gives a second birth. Salvation, a new heart, which causes us to become kingdom citizens at that point and live in kingdom ways, like Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. And how does that happen? Well, that happens through repentance of those ways that you know are wrong. When you're reading the Word of God and you see, wow, this is, this is very contrary to, to how I'm living. What it says here, I'm, I'm living very different to that. And you recognize that within you, and you recognize that your sin is actually sin, and repent of that because you've been convinced of these truths and also convinced that Jesus Christ is who he says he is in the Word of God, the one who lived a perfect life, never did anything wrong, perfectly kept the law of Moses, and yet died as if he was a lawbreaker, took the wrath of God upon himself, and you put your faith and trust only in him, his shed blood, taking the wrath for sinners, dying, being buried, rising again from the dead, that's how you become born again. And that's how we would obey these commands of Jesus Christ. That's how we would even start to even want to walk in these ways. Because our want has to be changed, and it's not changed until the heart's changed. So, according to Jesus' sermon then, are we never to seek justice for wrongdoing? Am I supposed to, that natural want that I've gotten in me for justice, does it need to be thrown out as well? Like my natural want towards selfishness and my natural want towards greed and my natural want towards egotism. Those have to be thrown out. Do I, do I also, once I become a Christian, throw out this natural instinct I've got for wanting justice as well? 
I mean, Jesus ends that section of his sermon saying this, but love your enemies, do good, lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you'll be sent to the most high. And he tells us something about the most high, the most high God. He says, for, number one, he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And then he says, be merciful even as your father in heaven is merciful. So we, we learn here some things about God. We, we learn what he's like. God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. God's merciful. After all, isn't there a verse that says God allows the rain to fall on the just and the unjust? Two farmers living side by side who both get the same rain. The crops both get watered. Crops grow in the same way. One man's righteous, one man's unrighteous. They both receive the rain. But what we also know about God is this, don't we? We also know that God is the judge of all the earth. And shall not the judge of all the earth judge rightly? Of course. Or else he'd be an unrighteous judge. And we know God is a righteous judge. Meaning, he's always right in his judgments. So God's able to strike this balance. God's able to strike this perfect balance between being kind to the wicked and also giving the wicked what they deserve. And he's able to be merciful, but also dispense perfect punishment. God can strike that balance perfectly. No one can ever point at any of his actions in either way and say, you were wrong there. You were wrong. So can we then obey the Sermons on the Mount and also pray imprecatory prayers? Can we do that? Can we love our enemies, bless those who curse us, pray for those who spitefully use us and mistreat us, and also pray God would judge them? Can we? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. My answer, I have three answers, and here they are. Yes, we can no, we can't, and maybe we can. There we go. Yes, no, maybe. Remember, those of you who went to public school, if you were a homeschooler, you can't do this, but if you went to public school, you know, you've written a pretty girl a note, do you like me? And you send it and open it up, and it's got yes, no, and maybe so, right? And you can't do that if you're a homeschooler because you're all siblings. So, you, you, and you would get it back, and it would be checked. One of them would be checked. And you're either going to have a really great day because, yeah, she likes me. You're going to have a horrible day. No. Or you're going to be like, well, she put maybe. That's, that does not know. And so I'm checking all three. That'd be very confusing if she did. But for our topic, I'm checking all three. And I want to tell you, yes, we can pray in precatory prayers. No, we can't pray them. And maybe we can pray them. And let me explain. I start with yes, Okay. Let's look at our sermon text, Nehemiah 4, 1 through 6. If you haven't turned there in your Bible, please go ahead and turn there in your Bible or on your device. If you have neither with you, um, it's on the screen behind me. So as we look at our text, you might recall there were three people responsible for rebuilding in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. They were one book back in the day, if you might recall. They were just one. We've split them apart in our day just for convenience sake. Remember, we had the first gentleman who was a governor, Zerubbabel, and he was responsible for rebuilding the temple. Then, about 60 years later, we have Ezra. He comes back, and he's responsible for rebuilding the people of God with the Word of God. That's what he focuses on. 
And then roughly seven years or so after that, I believe it was, Nehemiah returns to the holy city. Remember, all these people were in exile. We talked about that. Nehemiah comes back, and he's responsible for rebuilding the walls. So there's all this rebuilding going on. And so Nehemiah is here doing what God sent him to do. What God put on his heart to do, to rebuild these walls. Remember, he's in front of the king, and he's like, thinking, oh, Lord, give me favor as I now speak to the king. And he tells the king what he wants to do, wants to go back, what's, what's going on in the city. And he says, well, go back and rebuild those walls. And so they're starting to do that. And they receive some opposition. Two different people, San, San, Sanballat, his name is just not usual, is it? And also this other gentleman, Tobiah, they both start jeering at them, making fun of them. Tobiah even has a very clever argument. He says, yes, even if a fox runs over the top of the walls, they'll just fall down. Meaning they're, they're so feebly made that even if a, a fox, who you can barely hear run through a field because he's just so light-footed, even if a fox runs over the top of it, it's just going to crumble. And they're not only making fun of them, the first gentleman says they want to restore it for themselves. Will they sacrifice? Will they finish in a day? He's saying, will you guys actually do this? And will you actually start worshiping in the temple again and become a nation again? You Jews. And they're making life hard for them. And then what we find in verse four is after the quotes are done, what we see here is a prayer. This is really Nehemiah's prayer. He's just written it out is what he's done in verses 4 and 5. And he says, Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their taunt on their own head. Give them up to be plundered in a land that it, where they are captives. Basically, make happen to them what happened to us. We provoked you to anger, and a nation came in and invaded us and took us captive in a land that was not our own for 70 years. And he's praying Make that happen to them. Do that to them. See how they like it. Do not cover their guilt. And let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. I want to focus on that here because he's very focused on, of course, God being dishonored, isn't he? The people of God were being opposed because the work of rebuilding the holy city was being opposed. And from the beginning, these gentlemen were uh, oppressing the people. They were not looking out for the well-being of the people of God. They were indeed causing it to be hard for them, almost like cursing them. And this is, I believe, this prayer... I think we can connect it all the way back to the covenant that God made with Abraham. I believe the reason why we find things like this, the imprecatory psalms, um, why we find a good handful of them, and, and even prayers like this, I believe they're connected to the Abrahamic covenant. I believe they're connected to promises that God made to Abraham long before this happened. What do I mean? Genesis 12, 2 through 3 you might recall, the Lord, it seems out of nowhere, just appears to Abraham, chooses him, and chooses to bless him, and chooses to make him the father of many nations, and chooses to give him a land. Why? Because he wanted to. Because God felt like it. 
It was his will. And it says this in verses 2 and 3. And I will make of you a great nation. He's speaking to Abraham. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We know that was fulfilled through the Messiah. But this part here, in him who dishonors you, I will curse. I believe why, I believe this is why, rather, some of the Jews had this mindset of, we can pray this way because God made a promise to the Father of all of us, all of us Jews, that whoever curses him, they'd be dishonored. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that they will be dishonored. I'm praying that they'll be cursed, rather. I believe that's why they felt like they can pray this way. And it was just for them to pray this way. So you say, okay, well, that's Old Testament. Okay, that's Old Testament Jews. I get that. More than likely, all of us in here are very Gentile, right? So we've got a connection, though, to Abraham, according to Paul. Galatians 3, 29, makes it clear that if you are Christ's, he says, if you're Christ's, then you're Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise, he said. You're heirs according to the promise. Promises that God made to Abraham apply to believers, current day Christians as well. All of them? No. Not all of them, but most of them. And especially the ones about being his child and being in the family of God. We are Abraham's children. We are descendants of Abraham by the Spirit, not by the flesh, but by the Spirit. We are Jews according to the Spirit. We are, because we are true Jews. We're the true chosen people of God. That's what I mean by that. And so I believe that's why we also see um, Paul praying things like this, which we'll talk about later, but... Yes, I believe that there are grounds for us to pray this way as Nehemiah did in response to those who are dishonoring the people of God and therefore provoking the anger of God. I believe we can pray, Lord, judge them for their wickedness. I believe we can also pray this way because it's something we learn from the Lord's Prayer, which starts out, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Whenever you pray that prayer and you're praying for God's kingdom to come, <laughs> do you know what you're actually praying? I mean, do you know what that means? When God's kingdom comes. You know what day that happens on? That happens on the last day. The Bible calls it the day of the Lord. And that. That's going to be quite a day. That day when heaven and earth become one because Jesus Christ himself descends from heaven to earth and sets up his kingdom. Let me just read to you. Uh, I mean, when Jesus comes back, let me just read this to you from... This is what Paul wrote, 2 
Thessalonians 1, 3 through 10. Listen to this. Just, just listen to some of the things he said to the Christians at that time, suffering punishment. So, I mean, suffering um, persecution, rather. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. They were suffering because they'd become followers of Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 5, this is evident. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you're also suffering. Since indeed, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Paul offers them comfort that their persecutions aren't going to go unnoticed. He tells them that when Jesus returns, he will repay those who are afflicting them. And that's the final day when he comes to set up his kingdom. The kingdom coming means the final judgment has come. You know that, don't you? And Jesus tells us to pray, Lord, may your kingdom come. He tells us to pray that way. We want that because it means the righteous kingdom of God, who is the God of light, who is the God of goodness and mercy and justice and peace and joy. It means his kingdom will fill the whole universe in its rightness and goodness and beauty. But that is preceded by clearing out all the wickedness, judging all the fleshliness, the worldliness, the kingdom of darkness and Satan, sin. That's what precedes it, is God judging the world through his son, Jesus Christ. All of that's included in thy kingdom come. You need to understand that when you're praying, Lord, Bring your kingdom. Yes, we want that. But it's preceded by great judgment. Great judgment. Which is 100% just. 100%. Like I've said, everyone in hell deserves to be there. Every single one of them. But no one in heaven deserves to be there. Not one of them. Paul prayed in precatory prayers, like I told you earlier. He prayed them. You've heard some of them. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. What's he saying? Let him be accursed. He's calling a curse down. That's an imprecation. 
He's imprecating. That's imprecatory, (laughs) right? He's calling a curse down. He also says this, if anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul prayed this way. So yes, we can pray prayers like this. Next, let me also tell you, no, you cannot pray prayers like this. And let me explain why before you just say, see, he is so contradictory. Look at him. That's normal of Christians. They just contradict all the time. Let me explain what I mean. This is all about why. This part's all about why you would want to pray prayers like that. If your motive, if your end goal in praying that prayer is simply your satisfaction, your joy, your glory, your own sense of judgment being satisfied, then no, you should not pray for their downfall because the motive is all about you and not about God. Imprecatory prayers must be rooted in your anger that God has been dishonored, that God's word has been disobeyed. There is a righteous anger. We see it in Jesus Christ. He was able to maintain it perfectly. He saw God being dishonored. He saw God's word being disobeyed there in the temple. And he went to town, didn't he? He is able to hold a righteous anger perfectly. (laughs) You and I, not so much. Oh, no. Is it possible for you to have righteous anger? Absolutely. All of you Christians have experienced it. What Christian, what, tell me, what Christian can watch a video of a partial birth abortion and not be enraged, right? Why? Because a tiny little innocent baby was murdered and is being murdered daily, right? And that should enrage you. It should enrage you. The murder of children should make you mad, even if you're not a Christian, but especially if you're a Christian. And any other type of sin, it should enrage you. That's good and right and normal. However, here's where we get off. You can get angry that that's happening, and then your next impulse is, I want to punch the abortion doctor in the face. Or, like the bomber, I want to blow up abortion clinics, right? Then you've gone beyond righteous anger, haven't you? (laughs) And we do that. I think you can be righteously angry, but I don't think you can hold it for long. Like, I don't, it's like a swinging pendulum. And like, here's the little area of righteous anger. And I think you get in it, but then your natural fleshly momentum takes you out of it. And I think you can kind of go back to it when you say, oh, I need to calm down, and then you're back in it, and then maybe you're too loose at that point. And so we just, we live in extremes far too often, and we're not able to balance them and and keep the righteous anger for very long. You will pull it into your flesh almost every time, I promise you. I promise you. So that's why I say, no, you shouldn't pray this way, um, because a lot of times your flesh is going to get in the way and you're going to be praying it for your own motives. Not necessarily enraged that God's dishonored or enraged that 
his laws have been broken, but that your, your ego or something about you, you want that vindication. And imprecatory prayers have nothing to do with your own personal vendetta. Not a thing. You need to know that because we often like to justify breaking the rules. We like to believe things usually apply most of the time, but they can go out the window if we feel we've been wronged. Like, I know, I know this is bad, but <laughs> anytime, anytime that sentence starts to come in your head or out of your mouth, listen, I know this is wrong, but, well, you're in the wrong, okay? Something about you, something about your flesh, you feel like this is, but you got to understand, this, this, happened, this happened to me. This makes me look bad. This makes me feel bad. This makes me angry. This makes me, me, me. And so therefore, I'm going to temporarily suspend the normal rules and I'm going to act in this way. And that's why I say, no, maybe you shouldn't pray these imprecatory prayers because you might feel that you could pray that way and it be right for you to be calling down judgment on this person because of, ooh, I just feel so mad at what he said to me, what he did to me. Me, me, me. It's all about you at that point and not about the Lord anymore. There's a a guy named Benjamin Kant, K-A-N-D-T, and he wrote um, an article about this topic that I thought was really good, and this is one of his quotes. Imprecatory psalms are the songs of the oppressed, always prayed from the position of weakness, not dominance or triumphalism. They're always prayed from the position of someone that's vulnerable, someone that's weak, and not prayed from, I'm up here, I'm, I'm dominant, and I'm triumphal, and so therefore, boom, send down this. No, it's, they're prayed from people that are down here being oppressed, injustice is happening to them that shouldn't be happening to them. That's how they're prayed in the Psalms, so we need to understand that. Ultimately, guys, we have to look to Jesus as our great example here, don't we? When it comes to this whole topic, we have to look to Jesus as our great example. Why? 1 Peter 2, 23. 1 Peter 2, 23 says this. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. We don't pray this way if we're not trusting God to be the judge. You don't pray this way if you're not willing to trust the ven- that vengeance belongs to the Lord and that he will repay. See, that's one reason why we can have peace as Christians even when, when we're wronged. Even if we never see a person getting justice here on planet Earth, we can know God is the judge and he will judge rightly. He's going to take care of this. And on the final day, whatever justice God chooses to dish out, know this, you'll be able to look at it happening because some of you have been badly wronged in this room. Some of you have. Horrible ways. Things that have been done to you, said to you, whatever. 
And you can know this, on the day of judgment, you'll be able to look at God's judgment upon that wrongdoer and say, that that's enough. That's perfectly sufficient. All the justice has been dealt out that should be to that individual. You'll be able to look in that day and say, that's just right. You won't say, no, 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 that's not good enough. You don't know what he did to me, what she did to me, what he said to me, what she said to me, what she cost me, what he cost me. The more, no, you will be satisfied on that day, okay? So know that. But then also there's the question of, well, what about all the wrong that you've done? What about the wrong, all, all the wrong that you've caused other people? What about that? We don't usually think about that, do we? We usually think, no, I, I, just, I need to feel like, like I'm good. I need to feel like everything that I was, felt like I was supposed to get back in justice, you know, I'm good. What about what you've done? Oh, whoops, I forgot about that. Well, guess what? They didn't. So what about that? All that judgment fell upon the one man who didn't deserve it, and that was the Lord Jesus. He has absorbed all your wrath for you. Isn't that wonderful? He did that for you. He chose that for you. Which takes us then into the third point. Maybe we should pray this way. Maybe. But now... As the previous one dealt with motives, this one deals with some contingencies, okay? Meaning, if certain other requirements have been fulfilled first. Maybe you can pray this way. If certain requirements have been fulfilled first, then you can pray this way. What do I mean? Well, look at this. Maybe you can pray this way, number one, after you've confessed your own sinfulness. You can pray this way after you've confessed your own sinfulness to God. This, is, this was the topic of last week's sermon, wasn't it? We talked about how, just like in an earthly relationship where you've wronged someone, or perhaps he or she has wronged you, and then the next day, you guys are back together again, and then the person just acts like nothing happened, and you're thinking, wait a second here, <laughs> <laughs> you were really, really mean yesterday. You said some really nasty things, and you just want to just keep on going with life now? No, no. There's, there's ice in the air. There's tension in this relationship until you say, I was a jerk yesterday. I said some things I shouldn't. Please forgive me, right? That's how earthly relationships work. Well, guess what? Whenever you sin against the Lord, willingly, purposefully, you don't just jump back in and act like nothing's wrong. There's a tension there. There's a separation between you and God. I'm not saying as Christians, you've lost your salvation. Sorry, you're not perfect like me. <laughs> what I'm saying is just like when you're married and you wrong your spouse in some way, it doesn't mean you're divorced, but it does mean there's some tension there, isn't there? Until you say, I'm sorry. Well, there's no, you have no business praying for God's 
judgment to fall on someone when you're also in the wrong with something that you have committed against God or perhaps someone else. And so you make sure that you have confessed your own sinfulness to God first. Secondly, maybe you can pray this way. If, secondly, you've also prayed for that person's salvation first because Jesus tells us, love your enemies, pray for them. Pray for them. So you you pray that the person will be saved. And you say, well, they don't deserve it. I'm, I'm assuming you do. You deserve to be saved. Yeah, because I'm not as bad as, as him. But, that, but in saying that, you're still assuming that you're bad, though, because you said, I'm not as bad, so you're, so you're bad. Yes. There was a time when you weren't saved either. There was a time when you did not deserve God's mercy or grace, yet he gave it. And now you're so thankful You're in the family of God. You're so thankful you're forgiven. Justice will be given for wrongdoings. Either it's going to fall on that person who refuses to repent and goes to hell and suffers it forever, or the judgment falls on Jesus. Either way, the the justice is going to be had. So you can freely pray for these people's salvation. Because justice will be meted out, even if you're like, I don't, I'm so angry at that person. I'm not sure I even want the person to be saved. I mean, we're going to get honest with our emotions, right? I mean, sometimes we have thoughts like that. Sometimes we do. (laughs) So pray for the person's salvation. And that way you show yourselves to be children of God. Because Jesus told us to pray for them who spitefully use you and abuse you and mistreat you. Pray for them. Love your enemies. Offer the other cheek. How can we do that? Because God will ultimately dish out proper justice. So, pray for their salvation first. Then, yes, you can pray that God would remove them, judge them, stop them. For example, I'm commanded in Scripture to pray for leaders, pray for governing authorities, pray for kings. You know what that means? Pray for my president. I pray for him. You know what I pray for him? Lord, please save him or remove him. That's what I pray. I pray that. I pray both. I want him to be saved. You know why? Because if he gets saved, I mean, that means good things. I mean, it actually might mean that he would get 86. You know, he'd get taken out. Children, that's a, that's a slang for he might get assassinated. If he really got saved, because he'd be radically different. So I want God to either save him, which will bring about great change, or I want God to remove him. So make sure that we pray these two things before we even think about praying in any sort of curse upon someone. And then lastly, I mean, I want to end with this, this. So then how do we pray them? First, pray imprecatory prayers. Number one, against our true enemy, who's the really the one behind all evil, which is Satan. Number one, pray that God would thwart the plans of Satan. Pray that God would stop the attack of the wicked one. Pray that God would frustrate his wicked schemes. Pray that. Secondly, pray against God's 
enemies in general. And then thirdly, pray against your enemies. That really needs to be a natural, healthy order to it. That will keep you from swinging too far over into hatred in your heart for people and instead wanting just righteousness and justice to prevail. Because that's where a prayer like this needs to be born out of. I am the wronged party here. I'm the oppressed one, and I'm praying from this level of weakness and being vulnerable. And what I ultimately want is, is rightness and justice to prevail, not just for me, for everyone, for all your people, Lord. That's what I want. And so I'm praying, stop this. Please thwart plans, frustrate, remove from office. Lord, change the situation, even if it means these people are cursed. Because they are cursed anyway, and we can see that by how they're acting, God. So I'm praying, do that, please, for the sake of your people, for the sake of your name. That's how we would naturally pray an imprecatory prayer. And the best way to be biblical in your prayers is to be saturated with Bible. So the more you're in the Word of God, the more you're going to do this well. I'm going to end with this. The best way to stay biblically balanced when it comes to all this, like Jesus, like the Lord God himself is perfectly balanced in all this, um, is to um, let the Spirit of God continue to guide you by the Word of God. So as you're in the Word of God, asking the Spirit, Lord, help me to walk in this. Help me to obey this. That's how you strike this balance. Because you can't strike it otherwise. You'll swing too far one way or the other. You cannot expect to be godly if you're not founded upon the Word of God. You can't expect to be godly if you're not founded upon the Word of God. So church, I hope this series helps you be people of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for the fact that we have your word. And Lord, all of it is inspired. All of it is profitable and important, which is why we even need to focus on things like this. Some parts that are even ignored sometimes, but we don't ignore any of your word because we know it's all good for us. Help us now to strike this perfect balance, Lord, in praying rightly, walking in obedience to the Sermon on the Mount, while also being able to pray all the Psalms, Lord. We need you to make our hearts perfect like the heart of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen.